everybody. Listen, before we jump into the message, I got to talk Tuesday night prayer. Man, y'all listen. We say it's the most important meeting of the week for a reason. And every time it's different. This last week it was us men. And it was different. And it was sweet. And it was powerful. And it was significant. And I'm like, listen, men don't get together to pray. But we had about a hundred men here on Tuesday night coming together to pray. And it was phenomenal. This Wednesday, uh, like she said, like Bailey said, that, that it's going to be the whole church again. But it's also going to be one of my favorite things in all of Vertical Chapel. We're doing a water baptism service this Wednesday night. So it's going to be a part. Man, I'm so, I say Wednesday. I'm sorry. It wasn't even a rebuke from over here. It's Tuesday. My bad, my bad. I'm kidding. I appreciate it. Thank you for covering me because I've been saying Wednesday every time I've talked about uh, water baptism because it was first Wednesday for so long. But this Tuesday, we're coming back together to pray and celebrate and have water baptism. But there's more reason to celebrate because maybe you're not aware of this, but Easter is just over a month away. And I have some breaking news that has not been announced just yet because we for the first time ever are not having one service not two not three but four Easter services because God blesses us y'all and you might be and it's 8, 9, 30, 11 and 12, 30 listen you might think that's a whole lot of serving Y'all, if you think about it, if you look at those times, it's only an hour more. So let's think about this. How many more people are going to place their faith in Jesus and spend eternity in heaven for one hour? Now listen, that may not get you excited, but if you're one of those people who are going to come and get saved, they're going to be extremely excited, and they're going to thank God for that extra hour. Because today, right now, they're headed to hell. But after March 31st, they're going to be headed to heaven. And they're going to be celebrating. Amen? And so listen, there's going to be a whole lot of need for some serving. And this is how I think about it. We want you jumping in, helping us serve, helping us make that happen. Right? And so why? Because it's not just Pastor Sean and Lisa that get the benefit of that. The Bible talks about, Paul said, I don't just seek the, 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 the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And so how does God keep score? I'm not sure, but I know the people who help park cars get in on that. And I know the people who serve coffee get in on that. And the people who greet and tech arts and the praise and worship team and our V-Kids servant leaders, man, they get in on that, y'all. And so if you want some of that fruit accredited to your account, man, come serve, come be a part, but also start praying and thinking about um, who you're going to invite. Who's God laying on your heart to invite? Start praying about that now and get ready to get out that invitation. Amen? Amen? Okay, listen, as you can tell, I mean, my voice is doing better than even first service and better than it's been all week, but I need, I need some help today. 
so I don't feel like I'm trying to pull teeth and things like that. I can't be a dentist today. I need some ease this way. Amen? Amen. We're in this series called The Awe of God. It's based on John Bevere's book, The Awe of God. That was an easy sermon series title, right? But uh, we're not necessarily preaching the book, but I'm, I've never read the book, and I'm about halfway through. And one thing I love about it is the chapters are short. I need short chapters. Because in that way, I'll read five pages as opposed to one. And so it's, meant, it's, it's not meant to be read cover to cover. It's really meant to be more like a devotional. And it is so good, and it has been so challenging that even leading up to this message, um, I'm feeling like a great weight. I feel like I'm about 700 pounds, and my legs are jelly because there's a weight to this. And I've been, if I'm being... Uh, honest with you, um, you hear the term fear and trembling, and that really has been my experience leading up to this even now, because uh, it's a big deal. And, and I would invite you to be very engaged, to be very dialed in, even if you want to wander, even if you, know, you wanna, wanna disconnect, I would encourage you to, to stay engaged and let the Holy Spirit speak to you because um, there, th there's in no way a finger pointing happening from this platform because all of my fingers are pointing my way because I, I'm still in the midst of dealing with some of this, but I'm also inviting you to examine yourself repeatedly throughout this time. So I may ask some questions, not as, hey, you're no good filthy sinner, but hey, <laughs> in front of a perfect God. We're all in that place, and we all need to humble ourselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so the last time I spoke, I spoke um, about a month ago on praying bold prayers. We're in the midst of a great series on prayer. I had the opportunity to speak on bold prayers, and I'm humbled and truly honored to be able to be a part of this series. But the key verse, the primary verse I spoke on <coughs> excuse me, last month was Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness. Thank you so much, Siri, that you may, uh, it, she started talking, she found. No, nothing to do with anything that I'm sharing. But let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We learn that because of who we are, not just as Christians, but as sons and daughters, we can come before God with boldness. We can come before him with confidence as our father. And I hope and pray it's, it's helped you change the way you pray that you've come before him with some boldness. You start praying with some confidence because you're a son and because you're a daughter. But this morning I want to talk about the flip side of our relationship with the Lord in this regard. Because you have to understand God is love, but he's also just. You know, there's times where it seems like you can come before God, you know, and like jump into his lap, his father, and just enjoy him and celebrate him, and it's party time like it's going to be this Tuesday night of prayer. Yeah. But man, there's other times where he manifests himself as the king of the universe, 
and you feel like if you say anything, you're going to die. Because he's too awesome. You just need to shut your mouth. And you just need to learn to be still. It's like a son who's interacting with his father who just so happens to be king. There's a royal etiquette. That king wears different hats. And when the king is doing king business, he doesn't need his son or his daughter coming in, jumping, you know, throwing a party. It's not, it's not dad time. It's king time, if you will. And so God is love, but he's also just and holy. God is, is we're to love him, but we're also to fear him. See, balancing the love and the fear of God will keep us from falling into ditches. Right? The love of God keeps us from falling into the ditch of legalism because when God's love isn't preached and we don't know about the love of God, guess what? We're going to, we're going to get legalistic. It's all about following religious rules. You do it or else. Right? Maybe a lot of us, we've been in churches like that where th there's not a grace, there's not a love. It's just you better do it or you're going to hell. Right? And we can kind of giggle about that, but that's been a lot of our experience. And it's, it's turned people off because there's a balance. On the flip side, the fear of God keeps us from falling into the ditch of lawlessness. When we don't fear God and all we know is his love and his grace and his goodness and his kindness and his mercy, we can tend to get casual. You know, we begin to think things like, it's okay, I can repent, God will forgive me, and we premeditate our sin, we go do it, we go say it, we watch it, knowing that it's sin, knowing that it's a front to God, knowing that it offends him, but you know what, he's going to forgive me, it's okay, it's all good. And that's an equally wrong mindset. See, many times we don't fear God because we've gotten familiar with him. He's become not the king of the universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, my savior and my Lord. He's the big guy upstairs. Man, I'm cool with God. What, does he know that? Right? right? Familiarity can cost you big time because you begin to treat what God calls holy as common. One of the big ways in the church is treating our pastors, which that's a holy position. We treat that as common. Well, I don't like the way he said this. Well, I wish she would do this like this. Or why do they dress like that? Or why did he say that? Why did he look at me when he said, you know, we begin to get offended and we begin to do all this childish nonsense. Listen, we're talking about Bevere books. Go ahead and grab and do yourself a favor and save your life and read Undercover. Listen, that book saved my life. No, write it down. Go to Amazon. Undercover. It's a purple book that will save your life. Because this thing you, you need to understand. Side note, this is free. <laughs> God doesn't mess around when it comes to spiritual authority. He'll let the woman caught in adultery, right? He was out sin, cast fur and stone, go and sin no more, which is the heaviest thing imaginable. It's not like he let her off scot-free. Don't ever sin again. You've been sinning your whole life. Don't sin anymore. But he lets her off. You come against authority, you get to see a whole other side of God. God doesn't play around. That's not just judgment. That's hard judgment. Read all throughout the word of God. 
God doesn't mess around with spiritual authority. We begin to treat what's holy as common. Like we begin to get casual in praise and worship. I am coming back to Jesus. Coming back to first. That's just my way of praising and worshiping God. There's no such thing as my way of praising God. You read the Bible, I know of at least 10 ways that he says to praise and worship God. And being disinterested, arms folded, sitting down, disengaged isn't one of them. Or three or four of them. He does talk about lifting his hands. He does talk about shouting. He does talk about dancing. He does talk about clapping. He does talk about kneeling and laying prostrate before the Lord. He does talk about those things. But I've never seen disengaged and disinterested. I haven't. I'm not saying that to fuss. I'm saying, hey, let's break out and be different and be better. Oh, be different, young adults. We've gotten casual with our stewardship, with our obedience. Hey, invite that person. I don't know. They look a little scary. Yeah, but if they get invited to get saved, they're probably a lot less scary. Hey, I want you to give this to this, or I want you to begin tithing. I can't afford to tithe. These are just some examples. See, Isaiah 29, 13 says, my, God said, my people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Can that be said of you today? If so, it could be that maybe you've gotten too familiar with the Lord. You draw near to him with your mouth. You say the right things. My goodness, you're in church, Right? But does he have your heart? Is he Lord or is he just Savior? You just want him to forgive you, but you're not interested in total surrender. Right? That's what God's saying here. Joy Dawson, in the book, it's one of the quotes. She said, uh, when we see him face to face in all of his awesome holiness and blazing glory, it will seem incredible to us that we ever had a casual thought in relation to him. Not even one casual thought. Not once we see him. Not once we encounter him. See, our fear of God grows in proportion to our comprehension of God's greatness. Let me say it another way. The more we understand the greatness of God, the more we're going to fear him the more we're going to revere him. The more we just get his greatness, the more we're going to understand how not great we are in comparison. So when was the last time you just simply thought about God? His size, his greatness, his power, his authority, his majesty, his perfect holiness, his omnipotence. He's all-powerful. The devil's not an issue for God. He knows his time's up. I believe it's 2 Thessalonians says that God's going to destroy the devil with the breath of his mouth. And I've always visualized it this way. Oh, all right, guess we're done. Come on, everybody, let's go. You know, just, it's not like it's going to be a fight, right? But not only omnipotence, his omniscience, he's all-knowing. He knows the thoughts and the intents and the motives of our heart. He knows everything, everything. And his omnipresence, he's everywhere all at once. Let these thoughts blow your mind. I have no idea what's going on on 6th Street right now. 
All I know is what's going on inside of this auditorium. But God, come on. The more we comprehend his greatness, the more we fear him and the more we revere him. Leviticus 10 verse 3 says, to those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Before all people, I must be glorified. That's not just talking about the church. To those who come near me, us, I must be glorified. Before all people, I'm sorry, I must be regarded as holy. Before all people, I must be glorified. Pay attention to that word must. That's not a suggestion or I hope if you get around to it, if you get some boldness, you know, maybe glorify me before other people. No, no, no. He said, I must be glorified and I must be regarded as holy. God's saying when you come into his presence, whether publicly here at church or privately in your devotion time, we're to come before him in the utmost reverence and awe and honor and respect. Are you catching this? Is that your attitude? Is that your heart posture? Did you come through these doors today in reverence and in awe, ready to meet Jesus? Or were you hoping Josh and Jenna and the band, man, I hope you play a good song, or you start feeling the emotions of music and not the intimacy of Jesus, and you get stirred up based on music and not Encountering God. Listen, if we are, if that's our posture in our devotion times, and we're committed to daily devotion, and we're encountering God, and he's doing a work on our heart, coming here like that is easy. Instead of getting stirred, oh man, I got to get ready, and I got to look the part, and all this stuff before I go into church, that will be a foreign thought to us. And this will just begin to be an overflow, right? He's inviting us to live and to encounter him differently. Psalm 89 verse 7 says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. That's like in everybody. That's not just the pastors and the staff or the leaders or the people who serve or whoever you think is so great. It says, God is to be greatly feared in the assembly of the saints and be held in reverence by all those around him. Even if you're a first-time guest, this is an invitation to experience him Differently, did you notice he didn't simply say that God is to be feared, but greatly feared, big time feared, outrageously feared. If you think you're doing too much, you've only just begun feared. The truth is, you will never find God's wonderful manifest presence in an atmosphere where he's not revered and held in awe. So could that be the reason why maybe some of us don't feel God? Or we don't sense his presence here. Oh, God's presence is in this place. Really? I can't tell. Or you're not hearing his voice. All of a sudden, you know, Pastor Sean came up here because he knew what the Holy Spirit was doing. But there are others, man, you hear God's voice. I'm not hearing anything. 
Could this be a reason why? Again, there's no finger pointing. There's heart examination. There's no condemnation. But let the conviction of the Holy Spirit speak to us. In the awe of God, uh, John Bevere talks about an instance where uh, he's ministering in Brazil for the very first time. He was so excited to go there and worship with the Brazilian. There was going to be like this, this well-known Brazilian praise and worship you know, band that was going to be there. And he was getting to minister in Brazil for the first time. He was excited. Praise and worship starts. And it's all, it should be awesome. But he doesn't sense any presence of God. And he asks God, like, God, what's going on? And God says, look around. And he begins to look around, and he sees people chatting with each other, laughing, carrying on, people headed to the concession stands, people sitting, people with their arms folded, people looking bored, almost as if it's like a concert of a band they don't even like, right? Like, you know, the opening band? So when he got up in front of everybody, God gave him very specific, specific instructions. People are still yapping, you know, rummaging through their purse and all this stuff. He just stood up there and didn't say a word. And it took over a minute before everybody got it and he had everybody's attention. He said, how would you like it if while you speak to someone sitting across the table, they ignore you, stare at the ceiling, looking totally disinterested? Or they're carrying on a conversation with somebody else. He answered his own question. You wouldn't like it, would you? Not, hi, I'm John Bevere, and I'm so excited to minister to you over these next couple days, and I really want you to like me. He went for the jugular. He didn't even care. But he didn't stop there. He said, what if every time you knock on your neighbor's door, you're greeted with a disinterested look at, oh, it's only you. Would you keep going to your neighbor's house? Not a chance. He then stated, do you think the king of the universe is going to manifest his presence or speak in a place where he's not honored or revered? Oh, that's not just for Brazil. That's for Vertical Chapel. Because it's not a chance. He didn't stop there. He said, if your favorite athlete or artist, Dak Prescott comes in here, or C.J. Stroud or Michael Jordan... If they were to come in, your favorite artist, Lord knows whoever that might be, were to come in here, they would have your full attention. Most of you would be on the edge of your seat, ready and anticipating whatever they had to say, whether they're saved or not. Right? Yet while God's word was being read, you paid no attention to it. It was white noise to you. It was like Charlie Brown's teacher. He could have cared less. He then began to teach on the fear of the Lord the way Pastor Sean has been these last couple weeks. And 
He, he ended with, if you're a believer but you lack holy fear and you're willing to repent, stand up. And 75% of the arena stood up in prayer. And before he could even begin to lead them in a prayer of repentance, he began to hear sobbing and weeping all over the auditorium as the manifest presence of God began to sweep through that place. Listen, the holy fear of God didn't scare them away from God. It drew them close. When they repented, see, the world wants, you to make, wants to make you think that repentance is bad. All my, did, all my church did was tell me to repent. No, repentance is the greatest invitation ever because it draws you near into the presence of God, not away. And so waves of God's presence began to flow through this place as he led them in a prayer of repentance. And honestly, there's so much more, but I have to stop there because there was a move of God's presence in such a way. They're still talking about it 20 years later, but you got to get the book to find that out. $15 at the welcome desk. So now we know uh, how to come into God's presence. We come with a heart posture of fear and reverence and honor and respect. Every time on Tuesday night prayer, let's come in that way. VCY, let's come in. Young adults, let's come in. Your group, let's come in. Every time, let's come in. We've prepared our heart. We understand how to come into God's presence. Now, how are we to respond to God's presence? It might be different than you think. Because again, there's a time where he's father. And there's a time where he's king of the universe. Father's a whole lot different than king of the universe. Father is Tuesday night, baptism, party, here we go. I love those times. Get sweaty. Enjoy it. Praise God. But the Bible shows us some examples of those who responded when God manifested his presence. And it wasn't dance party. And it wasn't hooping and hollering. There's a time and a place for all of it, right? Ezekiel, prophet of God, spokesman for God in Ezekiel 1 verse 28 says, this is what the glory of God looked like to me. When I saw it, I fell face down on the ground and I heard someone's voice speaking to me. You're going to kind of begin to see a theme. Abraham, you know, the father of the faith. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons have father Abraham and I am one of them and so are you, Right? He's the father of the faith. He said, at this, Abram fell face down on the ground, beginning to see a theme. Maybe not. Moses, one of the greatest leaders in the history of mankind, when God manifested himself on Mount Sinai, it said Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. Time out. This is Moses. He's the guy who should have had it all together because God used him to work 10 plagues, and he saw these plagues destroy Egypt. And he put out his staff, parted the Red Sea, walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, turned around, saw the Egyptians flooded. You would think, man, I'm a man of God. I got this set up. I'm good to go. But not when the manifest presence of God showed up. He was still... He didn't get casual and he wasn't familiar. There was still a reverence. The Apostle John, the disciple who Jesus loved, he was in the inner circle. Because there were the 12 disciples, but there were his inner circle of Peter, James, and John. But John was even in closer beyond that because he was the one who Jesus loved. 
He was the one at the Last Supper who was leaning on Jesus' chest. And all of a sudden, ask him, ask him, ask him. Right? He was the guy spent that intimate time with Jesus. He wrote of this when he encountered the glorified Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. And then Isaiah. Many of you know Isaiah chapter 6. There's so much in these verses, but let's look how he responds. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Y'all picture this. Above him stood <coughs> the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice, at the voice, at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that had been taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away from you, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Now there's about a four or five week sermon series in these eight verses that I don't have a chance to touch. But did you notice how he responded? He didn't, God's glory didn't show up, smoke filled the place, and he sees seraphim. What on earth are seraphim? He didn't be like, whoa, this is cool. Right? He said, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He recognized his sinfulness before an almighty God. There was nothing casual or nonchalant in him. This was a man of God, a prophet, a spokesperson, who in the previous chapter, in Isaiah chapter 5, said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who are proud. Woe to the drunkards. But now he gets one glimpse of God's greatness, and his cry is no longer, woe is the sinner, but woe is me. It wasn't, woe is them. Outside the church, woe is me, a leader in the church. That's what happens when the manifest presence of God shows up. And then finally, Job. Maybe, maybe you know the story, but Job's encounter with the Lord, to me, is flat out scary. Huh. I said this in the first service, and I didn't get rebuked in between, but uh, when you get to about Job 38, and God shows up, and he begins to ask Job questions, every time in my quiet time, I get a little nervous. I feel my stomach shaking, because I can't imagine being there, and every time, for years, 
man, I would pee my pants if God showed up like that. For real, I mean, I'm talking, after everything Job had been through, all the pain, the suffering, the loss, the accusations, the mind games, him trying to defend himself, now all of a sudden God shows up and begins to ask him questions that he has no answers to, but God does. And I would love to read several chapters, but we don't have time. But listen to just a sampling of the questions that, that, that God asked Job. He says, where were you when I established the earth? Who fixed its dimension? Certainly you know, because you were there. Have you, have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn its place? Have you traveled to the source of the sea or walked in the depths of the oceans? He's asking because he has. Have you entered the place where the snow is stored? Or have you seen the storehouses of hail? What road leads to the place where light is dispersed? Where is the source of the east wind that spreads across the earth? Can you send out lightning bolts and they go? Do they report to you, here we are? Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You're God's critic, but do you have the answers? Come on, can you even imagine? How scary that would be to be corrected and rebuked by not the big guy upstairs, but the creator of the universe, the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Talk about leaving you trembling in fear and in awe. Look at Job's reply in Job chapter 40, verses 4 and 5. He says, I am nothing. How could I ever find these answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I've said too much already. I have nothing to say. He manifested himself as the king of the universe, and he felt if he had opened his mouth, he would die. That's what I'm talking about. But God didn't stop there. God kept asking more and more questions and more and more questions. And Job answered again after he had this revelation of the size and the power and the majesty and the holiness of God. The last thing Job said was significant. And if we can have a similar, similar revelation and if we can have a similar response to God that Job did, our lives would change, our families' lives would change, and this church would change at the very, very least. Because in Job chapter 42, verse 5 and 6, he said, I had only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my eyes. Oh, I've heard Pastor Sean preach some messages. Oh, but now I've experienced you. Oh, yeah, I watched that podcast. But now I've seen you. Oh, no, no, I go to that group often. But this is far different. He said, I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. See, the revelation of God 
not the God he had made him into to make it convenient and easy to shove him in his pocket until a convenient time to live like whatever until there's an emergency until there's a sickness until there's a massive need until you need a miracle or whatever it may be when we when he had a revelation of God it led to deep humility and repentance I'll do whatever it takes to get right with God. I can guarantee you Job never spoke casually about God or took him or his presence for granted again, not even for a second the rest of his life. So let me ask you this morning, have you been casual, nonchalant, maybe lazy, disengaged, disinterested? You've gotten familiar, kind of going through the motions, drawn near to him with your mouth, maybe, but your heart is far from him. Understand, the conviction of God, when the Holy Spirit convicts you, it's going to draw you close to him, just like it did to the people in Brazil. The devil's condemnation wants you to shrink back and to pull away but how can you tell it's God because he's drawing you close even if you feel busted even if you feel bad even if you feel ashamed he's drawing you close but if you feel like you know you're being drawn away and you're ashamed know that that's the devil shut him up and run to the feet of Jesus either way the presence of God is your need If you've been casual, if you've been nonchalant, if you've been lazy, disengaged, etc., what do you need to do? Well, I would follow the example of those we just read about and heard about. Humble yourself. Like, humble yourself, even physically. A lot of times, our, phys our physical posture represents our inward heart. And so sometimes we have to physically, if you can, like, get humble. Why do they do? Why did they lay on their faces though dead? Because they couldn't get any lower. They humbled themselves. Not, oh, I don't do that. You know, God didn't ask you whether that's your preferred way of humbling yourself. All I know is over and over again, to get humble is to get low. And then recognize the size, the power, the authority of God. Repent. Not a bad thing. It's turning from the trash that was keeping you from Him. And when you compare, even if it's a good thing, when you compare what's been keeping you from Him, you'll regard it as dung. And you'll end up hating the very thing that was keeping you from Him when you have a revelation of God. And then surrender. And then obey. How did Isaiah finish his revelation of God? Here I am, send me. I don't care what the assignment is. Just send me, I'll go. God, work through me. God, use me. I want in on that. We're humbling ourselves before him in repentance. And we're surrendering our lives fully and completely. Not just that 90%. It's that last 10%. I was telling Pastor Jesus in between services, for me, that 90% is a piece of cake. We can be great Christians at 90%. It's that last 10% that God's been messing with me over these last couple weeks. 
and while I feel this weight. We're choosing to turn our backs on the sin that so easily ensnares us. We're choosing to respond and live in obedience. Not as if we have a say. Our only rights are yes, Lord. We don't get to say, hold on or let me think about that. We're not king of kings and lord of lords. Are these steps you need to take? Be real with yourself. This isn't church time. We're not checking in. Have you gotten casual or nonchalant with the Lord spiritually? Do you need to develop or deepen your fear of God? I will tell you this, I've had to, and I feel like I'm nowhere close to done. Or maybe you need to take some time to ponder the size and the awesomeness and the majesty and the holiness and the omnipotence and the omnipresence and the omniscience of God to be reminded of who he is and how big he is. See, his presence is the goal. Living in awe of him is the need. Amen? Would you stand with me as I pray? And would you just close your eyes and just begin to think through, pray through, ponder through those questions that I asked. Have you gotten too casual with every head bowed and every eye closed? If you're a believer, but you lack holy fear and you're willing to repent, nobody's looking around. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Can you raise it a little higher so I can see your hand? Because if I'm being honest, if we're being honest, it really should be every soul in here. Should. Now, I'm not saying that to get everybody to raise your hand. You let the Holy Spirit convict you. But if you need to grow in this, I want to pray, Father, in Jesus' name, you see so many hands lifted up all over this auditorium, and I'm sure even on church online. God, first and foremost, God, we just humble ourselves before you. God, we make the choice to pray and seek your face because in you is everything that we need. You are the answer. That's why we're humbling ourselves and we're seeking you. And we're turning from our wicked ways. God, we choose to repent. God, I ask that you would wash us and cleanse us, God. Forgive us of all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness. God, forgive us for treating you casually being nonchalant, getting too familiar with you, not fearing you, not revering you, not honoring you. For accepting you as Savior, but not living for you as Lord. For not balancing the love of God and the fear of God. God, we need you. We need to learn to live in awe of you. We need to fear you and revere you and have a revelation of you the way Ezekiel and Isaiah and John and Abram and Moses and Job had.
God, today we're coming back to you. We've lifted our hands saying we need to revere you. We need to fear you. We need to deepen our fear of God. And I thank you, God, for your blood that washes us and cleanses us, that you convict us to draw us near to you. You don't reject us. You draw us near. The fact that our hands are even raised is proof of your love for us. And so we come to you now in Jesus' name. And as we sing this song, don't just sing words. Even, even just speak it as a prayer.